competing entities, an active struggle between two competing entities. So those entities could be nations or groups of nations, but they could be individuals. They could even be between two supermarkets. We sometimes hear, don't we, of a price war. could be between two sets of individuals, and they might be having a war of words. So that's the definition that we are going to use this morning, and it helps us understand that a war can indeed be between nations, which I guess is what we think of most of the time when we think of war, but actually it could also be between individuals or groups of individuals. My uh, eldest daughter, Emily, is just learning how to play chess, and I'm teaching her how to play. I think she's enjoying it. Uh, I'm teaching her because my dad taught me, and I remember good times with my dad, and so I think this is a responsible parenting thing to do, and I, I do think she's enjoying it, and uh, we're playing chess, and she plays the computer at chess as well, and uh, the game of chess is an interesting one, because often a game of uh, chess starts very innocuously, doesn't it, and normally people have uh, pre-planned opening moves that they like, and the board seems quite empty, or there seems to be quite a lot of space in the board for to, you to move your pieces into. But then as you begin to move beyond the opening into what's called the middle game, very often the, the board starts to get very full, or seems very full, and the options that you have for moving without putting yourself in danger seem to get more and more limited. And then, of course, eventually in the game of chess, it gets more and more complicated and pieces start to get taken, and eventually one of the players is backed into a corner until there's not a lot they can do except wait for the end. And I think if we think about the process that leads to a war, it's very similar to that. Think about the Second World War, for example. The process that led up to the hostilities seemed to be very innocuous. I mean, even our own Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, when he went to Germany and met Hitler, had no inkling, really, that a war might ensue. Didn't he declare that there was peace in our time? Things seemed to be very innocuous. But then the situation escalated, things got more and more complicated, the tension mounted, and war ensued. When somebody gets backed into a corner, be that a nation or an individual, often there seems no alternative but to fight. And then people get hurt, lives are destroyed, chaos ensues, and eventually someone, somewhere, claims victory. But at what cost? I wonder if you ever find yourself in the middle of an active struggle or a conflict, one that has seemed to start very innocuously. Now, I'm married to a wonderful woman, Ruth, who puts up with an awful lot from me. And we have a great marriage, I think. But from time to time, we have been known to argue, like most married couples, I suspect. And it usually goes something like this. Something happens that triggers a row. Usually, some pent-up resentment about some other very innocuous things come out in the course of the row that have nothing to do with the initial presenting issue, but that might have been stored up for a while. And then the row happens... Stuff gets said, and usually very quickly, we move right away from the point that we started arguing about into other things that were in no way related. Some of you are smiling and nodding. Maybe you have this experience. It's nice to know we're not alone. 
And actually, very oftentimes, we forget what we started arguing about, what caused it in the first place. And truth be told, it's our pride and our stubbornness and our selfishness that means we can't let go. Well, eventually it finishes, and Ruth is great at letting go and forgetting all about it. I'm not very good at that. I don't know whether it's a man thing or just uh, me particularly, but usually there's some sulking. About 8 to 12 hours is the average. (laughs) And then we kiss and make up and all is well. Now, I wonder if you experience that kind of thing. Maybe not in quite the same way, perhaps, but I bet you experience conflict. Maybe in your marriage, with your children, maybe at work, maybe with your parents, maybe in your extended family, maybe with friends. And I suspect, like me, if you get into conflict with someone, you very quickly get absorbed into it and your pride and your stubbornness and your selfishness take over. And that's how wars start too. Often it's something very small and insignificant that needs to be faced and dealt with, but it isn't. And so it escalates. But I think behind every conflict, be it between individuals in marriages or with friendships or at work, or between nations in war, what's ultimately behind it is greed and selfishness, stubbornness and pride. I uh, read a trilogy of books a little while ago about Troy and the story of Troy, uh, that great uh, Greek uh, myth, Greek legend really, about the battles between Troy and Sparta, culminating in the Trojan horse. And uh, a film was made of the story of Troy not so long ago, and I want to show you a clip this morning, because I don't know whether you know the story, but the reason why war ensues in the first place is because Paris of Troy uh, decides to fall in love with Helen of Sparta. And he, well, he doesn't kidnap her because she goes willingly with him. But he takes her from Sparta back to Troy. And she's already married to the king of Sparta. And so the war ensues. Let's watch a clip of just this. One man's selfishness leads to a whole nation being engulfed in war. Maybe you're in the middle of a conflict right now with someone, maybe someone at work, a friend, a partner, family member, or maybe you will experience conflict this week. You know, it can happen to any of us, any time, in lots of different circumstances. And I don't know whether you realise this, but God has a lot to say about selfishness and conflict, about its roots and its resolutions. And the first thing I want to think about this morning when we come to what God has to say about this comes from the letter from James. And uh, I don't know whether you know, but James was probably Jesus' brother. That's probably the James we're talking about. So he would have really known uh, Jesus well in the years that they grew up together. And it, it, it therefore adds an extra poignancy to his letter and in Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Desires of selfishness and arrogance and pride. I read uh, once, two cities in Italy fought for 22 years over an unreturned bucket. 22 years over an unreturned bucket. No one was prepared to move beyond their own selfishness and stubbornness and pride to resolve the conflict. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, it says, Pride only breeds quarrels. What might God have to say about conflict? Well, I think the first thing he has to say is that we should deal with the selfishness and pride that is in us that so often leads to conflict. But why is conflict in and of itself wrong? Well, I can think of two key reasons. The first one is it hurts. In conflicts between nations, people die. And of course, just this week, we've heard of five more British soldiers being killed in Afghanistan. And of course, innocent civilians die in conflict between nations too. War turns otherwise normal human beings into killing machines. But conflict between individuals hurts too. If you're in a conflict with someone else, it hurts. People suffer. Words are spoken that cut to the core. The second reason why we should be trying to avoid conflict is that it's a tremendous waste of resources. Figures from the United Nations show that in 2001, the total military spend in the world was $780 billion. They estimate that the annual cost of solving all the major human need and environmental problems in the world is about $220 billion. That's 30% of the amount that was spent in the military. More recently, in 2004, the total military spend in the world was $994 billion. And according to the Canadian Army Journal, war has dominated documented history. Since 3600 BC, the world has only known 292 years of peace. There have been 14,531 wars. An estimated, and I don't even know what this number is, I think it's uh, 3,640,000,000 lives have been lost in conflict. And of course, conflict between individuals is a tremendous waste of resources too. Whenever I'm in a conflict at home or at work or in the church, I realise that I spend so much of my time reflecting on what is happening, brooding on it. I realise that it sucks energy out of me and it's just such a waste of my resources. So if conflict hurts and it's a waste, and God says we have to deal with the stubbornness and selfishness and pride that is within us, What can we do to resolve conflicts? Well, now I think we need to turn to the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers. And if we know what the Bible says about being blessed, 
we know that that's an amazing thing that God offers. This isn't just, oh, you know, they're nice people, blessed are those who do this. To be blessed by God is a privilege and an awesome experience. So when Jesus is saying blessed, he's saying much more than just, you know, good things to those. He's saying significant blessings of God on those who are merciful, on those who are the peacemakers. Because God is looking for peacemakers. People who swallow their pride and their stubbornness realise that actually we are all human, that we are all fallible, that we are all capable of selfishness, and people who are therefore prepared to be peacemakers. The third thing we need to understand, as well as the fact that we need to deal with the selfishness and stubbornness and pride that within, within us, also that God is looking for peacemakers, the third thing we need to know is quite what peacemaking means. Because although Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he was not a pacifist. We can tell that from the way he defied authority, stood up for his beliefs, and aggressively cleared the temple in Jerusalem when he felt that he was being abused. What Jesus did do was to encourage us to find other ways to solve our problems than fighting. To find other creative ways to solve our, our conflicts. Bringing peace does not mean being a doormat. And actually sometimes being a peacemaker does mean going to war. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said, we make war that we may live in peace. Sometimes being a peacemaker does mean going to war. Other times it means finding other creative solutions to our conflicts. Learning in a marriage how to compromise and accept differences. Learning in a friendship to give and, give and take. Learn when conflict occurs to get into the situation and actively seek a reconciliation. Learning to give and receive forgiveness. Today's event is called War, Does Anybody Win? And the answer, of course, is no. Nobody wins in war. Whether it's a conflict between nations or a conflict between individuals, nobody wins. That's why we're called to be peacemakers. In the conflicts of our own lives, we need to take the steps to resolve them. We need to be creative and to make the first move. Are you in a conflict with somebody today? Think for a moment about what you could do to resolve it. And I challenge you to make the move this week to seek resolution. And what about the wars between nations? It's often very difficult for us to think, well, what can we do as individuals? But here in our church, we believe in the power of prayer. And we believe that we can pray. We can pray for situations of national conflicts. We can pray for world leaders. And of course, we can and must pray for those who've been asked to go and fight in those conflicts around the world. And we must pray for those who suffer as a result of conflicts. And in a moment, we're going to remember them. And of course, we too can make our feelings known to our politicians and to our leaders. I wonder if you ever saw the film Schindler's List. Ruth and I... Uh, saw it for the first time in Krakow in Poland where the film is set and where of course just outside the city are the remains of Auschwitz Oskar Schindler rescued three or four hundred Jews during the Second World War by convincing the German authorities that he needed them to work in his munitions factory 
he found a creative way to be the kind of peacemaker that Jesus was talking about. It wasn't in his uh, uh, remit to be able to bring peace to the whole situation, but it was within his capabilities to save three or four hundred Jews. And the creativity of Oscar Schindler was not just in that he saved them, but that his factory never made a working shell or a working bullet. They were all faulty. And if you know that film, at the end of the film, he breaks down and says that what he did wasn't enough, that he could have done more. And three or four hundred saved when six million were murdered does seem like a drop in the ocean. And yet the film closes by showing a line of people those who were saved and their descendants, numbering now not hundreds but thousands, who owed their lives to Oscar Schindler. We can make a difference. Our prayers can make a difference. And the greatest honour that we can pay today as we remember those who have given their lives and continue to give their lives in war is to bring peace and to live in peace to pray for peace, and to be peacemakers. Let's pray now, shall we? Heavenly Father, we have been reminded this morning already of the horrors of war. But we're aware that wars can take place between individuals as well as between nations. And we pray that you would give us the courage and the wisdom and the creativity to be peacemakers. We thank you that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Help us, we pray, to be peacemakers. And Lord, we pray again, as we'll continue to pray this morning, for those who are giving their lives in war. We pray that you would be with them, that they too would be blessed. And Lord God, we want to thank you as we remember today those who are laying down their lives to bring peace, that your son laid down his life so that we could know peace with you, so that we could know reconciliation with you. And Father, as we sing now songs of Jesus' sacrifice, Lord, we thank you that he was the ultimate peacemaker, the ultimate peace bringer. And we thank you that he made a way for us to be reconciled with you. Amen.